Today our gospel lesson comes from the Gospel of Matthew. I'll be reading from the 18th chapter, verses 15 through 20. Again, that is Matthew, chapter 18, 15 through 20. I invite you to stand, if able, for the reading of the gospel lesson. If another member of the church sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If the member listens to you, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others along with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If the member refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such one be as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I am there among them. The Word of God. The people of God. This particular piece of scripture is pretty famous in some circles. You know, there are certain parts of scripture that kind of get their own little name or add-on, and it's not an official one. You won't, if, you, if you have a Bible that has headers, it won't be in there like this. But we like to call this the Matthew 18 rule. And the Matthew 18 rule is a rule for fixing problems. It's a rule for straightening things out. And let's face it, we live in a world that has problems and needs rules. Amen? Now, I'm not one that always liked the idea of rules. You can ask my mother after service. She'll tell you. Although she's kind and sweet, and she won't tell you all. Hopefully, she's forgotten some of it. But you see, the problem is the church is made up of people. And you know what the problem with people is? They're people. They think for themselves. They do for themselves. They act, sometimes, often, for themselves. And when you get enough people together, you're going to have problems. You're going to have issues. You're going to need ways to have a little control. You would think that grown adult people would have self-control. They have selfish desires, they have self-serving methods, and some have a little bit of self-control, but the simple fact is nobody has enough, and the more people you get together, that lowers. It's called groupthink, and we see that mob mentality take over in many different situations. And so, because the church is filled with people, and people, well, they're the problem, we need a solution. We need a way to take care of it. Because what is it that we are called to be as the church? Go ahead, shout out. You know this one. As the church, we are the body of Christ. That's right. We are called to be a community. We are called to be in relationship with one another in order to be in relationship with God. It's not like, you know, oftentimes, especially in American Christianity, because we have this fierce sense of independence, it's my religion is private. It's very much me and God. Whatever goes on between me and God is none of your business. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, you're wrong. That's not the way it was set up in the Bible. Yes, we are to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. A personal, not a private. Those are two separate things. You're supposed to have this personal relationship which involves you being involved with other persons. Other people who are created in His image. Because the body can't be just a single member. The body is made up of many members. And those members have to figure out how to get along. How to work together. Can you imagine if when God designed this wonderful system we had, if, now I know it says in the Bible when you're giving, don't let your right hand know with your left hand. But that is not meant to be literal. Your right hand should know what your left hand is doing and vice versa. Because let me tell you something, if you're driving the car and your feet and your hands and your aren't all working together, I don't want to be on the road with you. Actually, that's not going to be a problem because you're probably not going to be on the road for very long anyhow. So we need to have this unity, this relationship. And the relationship is, designed, is divine for us. In Romans today, Paul says, what is it that we're supposed to do? Not owe anybody anything except this, to love one another. It is a relationship of love, of caring, of commitment to one another. That is the kind of relationship we are called. We are called to love our neighbors as ourselves because the commandments hang on this and also loving God if you go to the first four. But the whole point is we are called to be in a loving relationship both with our God and with our family, our Christian family, our brothers and sisters, our church, our fellow members. But again, the problem with that is, what is our church made up of? People. And people aren't completely horrible. But at times they are. And I know at times I am. And I'm not going to call anybody out. Because actually, y'all have been very gracious and kind to me. But trust me, after being in the service of the Lord for over 25 years, I have had people say things you would not believe to their pastor. Criticisms and hurts and, and other things. And just nasty behind closed doors. I think part of it was because they knew, given my vocation, I had to love them. And there's that whole turn the other cheek. But you don't go into it thinking the other person has to turn their cheek. That also is not the right interpretation. But that is for a different day. But so, since we are in this body, we are in this relationship, like any other relationship, nobody here has ever been in a perfect relationship. I know sometimes when you're young, you think, oh, it's just going to last forever and be wonderful. But eventually, my wife found out my feet stink. And that I have a tendency to leave a trail behind me when I would come in from work. I would take one boot off and another boot and a sock here. I'd eventually go back and get them. But she didn't love everything about me. She tolerated a lot because she loved me. And that's what we kind of have to do. But too much expectation of tolerance on somebody else's part will lead to resentment. And that resentment will lead to fractions. And those fractions will lead to tearing and ripping. And that is not good in a community that's supposed to be based on love. And so we get the Matthew 18 rule to help us kind of fix that. We know that the church is supposed to be all about 
love and kindness, and which makes it even harder because it mostly is. But when you feel slighted or when something bad happens in a church, it leaves an even worse taste in your mouth. I mean, if you're downtown in, out in public and someone's rude to you, it annoys you, but you go, eh, people. I mean, and it all depends. I mean, you know, here in Trenton, a smaller town, but, you know, we go to Memphis or Nashville and someone cuts us off, we hardly give it a second thought because we knew it was going to happen. I mean, have you ever met a New Yorker? I'm not saying they're all rude, but they do have a concentration. But in a church, you expect people to be better. Amen? Well, the first person you should expect to be better is the one that stares back at you in the mirror. That's where you got to start because that's the only one you can control. However, there still is that idea of being slighted or being hurt. Right in today's gospel lesson, he starts off with, if another member sins against you. So it wasn't just happening now. This has been happening forever. Ever since there became more people, there became more problems. And so to fix this, to help get it back on path, to remedy it, how do you repair a relationship? How do you, you bring this back together in the way it's supposed to be? Well, I will tell you the big answer to that is forgiveness, but that's actually next Sunday's sermon, so I'll put that on hold. Because today we're just going to talk about the problem. We're going to talk about the big problem. When someone in your church, when another member sins against you, and that's the key word, when they sin against you, which is they do something that they ought not do that goes against what God would have them do. It's not just somebody hurt your feelings or bothered you. That's not necessarily a sin. It might be a sin, but we're talking about an actual sin when somebody sins against you, and they don't define it so that we can each kind of put it to our own perspective. But when someone actually commits a sin against you, they have wronged you, we are told what to do about it. And the first step in that is to go to that person and not go to that person in front of the church, not go to your neighbor about that person, but you go to that person when you are alone because it's just between you all. And you tell them, this is what I saw. You put the ball in their court. And if they say, you know what, you're right, I, my bad, which is hard for us to say sometimes because the first thing we want to do is defend ourselves. We want to defend, we want to deflect, we want to push it off on somebody else or the other, well, everybody does that nowadays. And, of course, we all know what moms used to tell us about bridges and if all of our friends jumped off. Of course, I, again, was a little bit of a smart luck, and I figure if you have enough friends and the bridges and all that high, eventually you could just step off and you'll be okay. But I really don't think that was the point. We approach that person and tell them. If they repent, if they listen, then it's done. You've regained that person. Homeostasis is restored. Balance is restored. Unity is restored. But again, today we're not talking about the positive side of this, we're talking about those times when things are really bad. And so if that person doesn't listen to you, if they reject what you say, if they stiff arm you, if they whatever, you then go and get, and I'm not talking about going and get to and your friends. 
This is not a Facebook gang up where, you know how people today like to, when they're hurt, they like to put out on Facebook so all their friends can tell why they're hurt and all that. Or if you go old school, you call on the phone, a couple of your friends, you say, this is how this person wronged me, and you start talking about them. Well, that's gossip, and that's a sin. So don't compound a sin with a sin. It's not about going and getting people to gang up. It's about going and finding mature, faithful, loving members of your church, family. Okay? Faithful, mature, loving people. And you'll go and get one or two of these. And it's not to gang up, it's to recall, it's to help them out. Because maybe when it's one-on-one, they just couldn't see it. And so the three or two of you go and talk to this person, and you explain to them where the error was. You show them, and I'm talking about you show them biblically. You, have to, you can't just say, well, you hurt my feelings, you did this, you're wrong. You have to be able to actually show. You've got to pray about it. And if they still reject you, well, at that point, the ante has been lifted because this kind of division, this kind of pain can rip a church apart. We've all seen it happen. Look around any town. And you'll see churches that were once a single congregation and now they're two or three buildings. Matter of fact, one of my favorite stories is about two people that were marooned on an island. And when the rescuers finally came, they looked up on the hill. And on the hill were three buildings. They say, what are those three buildings? And the first one proudly states, that's my church. The other one says, that's my church. They go, well, what's the one in the middle? That's the church that neither one of us will step foot in. Because division happens. And so if it gets to that point, after you've prayed over it, after you have sought counsel with other mature, loving faithful Christians, then you must bring it to the congregation. You must bring it to the church. And again, not in some ambush meeting, but in a genuine desire to bring that person back, to heal the schism, to repair the damage. And if they listen, you've regained that. But if at this point they don't listen, what are we told to do? Treat him like a tax collector. Treat him like a. Basically, what we're told is kick him to the curb, boot him. Now that sounds really hard for us. How many of y'all can think of a scenario in which you would kick somebody out of this church? Some of you are like going, "Oh yeah, I can think of several." Now some of them may meet this mark, some of them not. It's a hard thing, and it shouldn't be done lightly. But we are told very clearly here, and it sounds really harsh, but actually if you back up and read in the earlier part of this chapter of Matthew, he talks about stumbling blocks. He goes, woe to anyone by whom stumbling blocks come. Matter of fact, if your foot or your hand causes you to stumble, you are to cut it off and throw it away. It is better for you to be maimed or lame in life than to be cast into the fires of hell. If your eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. I mean, kicking to the curb now doesn't sound so quite so bad, does it? These are the words of Jesus. And they're incredibly hard at times. Now again, none of this should be done easily. And it should all be done prayerfully. And it all must be done couched in love and in guidance. But basically... 
I'm going to put Jim on the spot. I mean, that is a form of medicine. If you can't cure it with something else, you've got to cut it out. Because, let's face it, if your big toe is gangrenous, it's better not to have a foot than not to have a life. I mean, if, if all the things that are available to you cannot solve the problem, then you have to get rid of it. Now, that sound harsh to anybody else in here? I know we're Presbyterians. You raise your hand, you think I'm going to ask you to volunteer. Let's just try this as an exercise. Just lift one up. Okay, just go this high. Just, just, just don't break the shoulder. Just, just, just. Okay, if you can't do that, just, no, no one can see you. It's harsh. And quite frankly, these are some of the things I hate to preach on, except when it becomes hard for me, when it becomes difficult, when I start to worry about what are people going to say, what are they going to think, how are they going to feel? Because, you know, let's face it, we love it when we come to church and the sermons on Jesus loves me and things are great and life is wonderful. We love that, don't we? I love that. That's awesome. But that's only part of the story. Yes, Jesus loves you. And he loves you too much to let you have a festering wound that will destroy you. And so he tells you what to do with it. You go through the process, and when you can't fix it, you get rid of it. But it's also important in how he told us to get rid of it. He said, treat them like a tax collector, treat them like a Gentile. Well, of course, to a room full of Gentiles, we're like going, oh, wait a minute. That's, uh... Remember, when he was talking initially, he was t- he, Jesus was talking in a group of Jewish folks. When Matthew wrote, he was writing to a Jewish congregation because in those days, what did Jews do with Gentiles? They avoided them like the plague. They didn't go in their house. They didn't intermix with them. Basically, what they're saying is if there's somebody who's this cantankerous, if there's somebody that's this broken, if there's somebody that's this harsh to deal with, then don't deal with them. Avoid them. And of course, tax collectors, we can all get on board with that. You know, I'm pretty sure if you work for the IRS, someone asks, what do you do? Go, yeah, I work in an office. It's simple finances. It's not a big thing. It's really boring. You really don't want to know about it. Hey, how Tennessee do? You just switch the subject. Avoid. But here's the other part that I love that sometimes we miss. Because immediately afterwards, he starts talking about if two of you are in agreement. And ask my father, you'll get it. If two or you are together, then I will be present. Again, now he's talking about his presence. Because in this whole situation, what he's saying is, if somebody is in this shape, don't let them wreck the church. Sometimes you got to put them outside. But remember who Jesus hung out with. He hung out with tax collectors. There were a few Gentiles as well. And of course, he sent apostles to the Gentiles. And so basically, what I think is really being said here is, yeah, if it's too hard, if you can't fix it, if it is going to destroy this body, then get them out of this body. Put them out in the hall. Teachers, students are too rough. What do you do? You, well, in the old day, you put them out in the hall, the principal got them. Nowadays, you just suffer through it. But remember back in the good old days when you could put them out in the hall, the principal would come by with the Board of Education? Now, I'm not saying Jesus is going to pat all these people. What I'm saying is he's saying, give them to me. Because isn't that the ultimate answer with any of our problems, with any of our anything? We are told to give it over to the Lord. For the Lord is perfect. 
the Lord accomplishes all things. And our church will be perfect and holy, but only through what Jesus Christ has done. Turn from the brokenness of this world to the healing power of the cross. Remember that every single one of us also was in need of salvation because every single one of us is also a sinner. And so it may have been us that sinned to get someone in the church. Keep that in mind. So if you get approached and someone, don't get defensive, don't get evasive, maybe get repentive. Definitely go to Jesus. For Jesus covers all. Jesus heals all. He has done for us what we need. And so while this initially sounds harsh, this Matthew 18 rule, it is one that helps keep order in our church. But again, it is also one that puts everything full circle back into perspective. In order to have order and unity and direction in, in any church, what do you need at the center? Come on, we know this one. Begins with a J. Jesus, come on. Brothers and sisters, there are very hard and awful things that we have to read in Scripture sometimes, and it's easy to just put it aside. But I would encourage you, if there's something that's troubling you, don't just whitewash over it. Don't just, don't just go back to, you know, Jesus loves me. Great song, by the way. Sometimes we got to dig into the meat. we got to dig into the, into the deep stuff. And we got to acknowledge that this place is messy, and therefore we're messy. But whenever we do that, in all of these things, it must always, always lead us back to one simple truth, which is the cornerstone. The stone that the builders rejected is what? The cornerstone. Jesus Christ is the sinner. He is the truth, the life, and the way. And from what he has done, like was said at the children's moment, so we too can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Father God, I give you Thanks and praise for this day, for these scripture lessons, for this insight into your word. But more than our ability to understand it, let us live it. Let us live with Christ in our heart. It will compel us to serve each other, to love one another fully, and to love those outside these walls, just as you have loved them first and us first. We pray this in all things in Christ's holy name. Amen.